lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Jeremy Lee in the building and every guest that you ever needed. Sports cards after hours keep the hobby heated. Updates hobby talk like you never seen it. Sports cards live and nothing could ever beat it. Sports cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Welcome to another episode of Sports Cards Live with your host, Jeremy Lee. All right, welcome everybody. And I was on mute. <laughs> okay. That's like the third time that has ever happened. Ever happened to me uh, since I've been doing this show. So I'm going to just take a moment here and start over again. I finally see you on mute. I was on mute. I don't know how that happened. But thank you guys for letting me know. So let's uh, let's start this over again. <laughs> At least for me, I'm starting over again because I just said all that stuff. So uh Good. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thank you. Okay, guys, this is episode 154 of Sports Cards Live. It is still Saturday night, September 17th, 2022. You guys know my name is Jeremy Lee. I want to thank Joe Perot for joining me last time for the episode about why I joined Tag Grading. Thank you, Joe. Thanks, everybody, for all the engagement last Saturday for that episode. Tomorrow on Collectible Live, our guest will be Rob Gerard. He is the host of the Sports Card Therapist podcast. I'm looking forward to having Rob on the show and join me this Thursday with Adam Gray for the PWCC premier auction ending watch party. I guess we are going, I'm guessing we're going to witness about $15 million in cards being sold on Thursday night. I want to shout out the center stage app, download the app in the app store for quick comps, whether you are shopping at a card show or pricing out your own cards on any platform, it is continuously improving. So please join me in supporting these hobbypreneurs and the great team they have as they and the innovation that they are undertaking. And shout out Tag Grading. We will be set up at the Beckett Industry Summit at the end of this month, September 30th to October 5th. And we'll also be set up at the Union Marketplace Show in San Diego's Del Mar in mid-October. And as always, guys, I want to thank all you subscribers, viewers, podcast listeners. If you're not yet subscribed to the channel, please take a moment and do so. And as always, your questions, your comments are in play. So let's get to it. Tonight's guest got his start in the hobby when he was seven or eight years old, buying packs of 88 Tops baseball for Christmas. While the rest of us, myself included, were getting Nintendo games and that sort of thing, 
he was getting factory sets of baseball cards. He has since built up a quite an impressive collection. He loves cards the way we'd love to see people love cards. His favorite players are Michael Jordan, Bill Russell, Tom Brady, and Tiger Woods. And his favorite teams are the Boston Celtics and the New England Patriots from Western Massachusetts, currently hailing from just outside Boston. Let's bring him out. Jeff Hart, welcome to Sports Cards Live. How are you? And thanks for not laughing at me from the back room there. I'm doing great. And uh, thanks for having me on and uh, looking forward to, uh, to talk with you tonight. Yeah, same here. Same here, Jeff. I'm still I'm still a little uh, laughing at myself for being on mute for the first minute and a half of the show. But uh, it's really good to have you, Jeff. We've been talking about this. It was pretty cool because we were both at the National, but we were both at Bleecker the Monday before National for their trade night. And then we rode on the shuttle together from New York City to Atlantic City. And we were, I mean, we were sitting right next to each other. We were hanging out, chit-chatting, uh, looking at some cards. And, uh, you know, I just, I, I always think back to that experience because it was just a lot of fun. It was a nice community sort of event. And uh, how, how did you enjoy that yourself? And not 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 just the being a bleaker on Monday, but like the bus ride and the fact that they did that for people. What, what, what did you think of that? Yeah, so it was just a great experience. Um, you know, just starting out at Bleecker, I had never been there before and I'd heard a lot about it, about the trade nights. And for me, it was just great to see a lot of people that um, I had talked to, you know, just online and through other avenues and to meet people in person was just incredible. And the relationships are really important to me in the hobby. And uh, with the bus ride, you know, a lot of those, having a lot of those same people on the bus and being able to spend those couple uh, hours together, you really got to know each other a little bit more. And when we were talking, Jeremy, I saw a pack of uh, 61 Fleer that you had, that you had showed me. And I was very impressed by that. Um, and it was just great to learn a little bit more about your collection. And it was just so impressive and to hear everything about, learned a lot about hockey um, on that trip as well. So it was, it was great. And obviously that took us to the national after that. Yeah. You know, when you mentioned me, that my, my pack is 61 Fleer, I got this big smile on my face because uh, right before we went live and I said, and, and we were chatting and I, I said, oh, there's something I want to just grab so I can show it to you during the episode when you talk about something related to it. And now you just sort of busted me. You've seen it before. I forgot that I showed you. So I'll show it again anyway for the for the crowd because it's pretty cool and it ties right into what what you'll be talking about. One other thing that I remember from uh, from the the national, the week of the national just back in July was uh, I forget what night it was, but it was early on. It was probably Wednesday night. Actually, it might have been like the first night we were there. And, uh, and we were at the, we were, whatever we were doing that evening, we ended up at the casino. I think, yeah. I think we were at the, um, which one were we at? The Borgata, Borgata. the Borgata. Yeah. And, uh, I remember, um, we were, we were, we were playing poker together at the same <laughs> table and I think I felted you at that table. Did I not? You did. I did. You did. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry about that. I'm still <laughs> sorry for that, but, uh, that, it was still nice. It, it was great to hang out with you there. And of course, throughout the national, but let's get yep. into it. Um, we got a lot of people here. Welcome everybody. And thanks for your patience with my uh, going on mute for the, I think the third time in two and a half years of doing this show. Um, but uh, we're going to get to the comments in a moment. Let's get into you though. I mean, let's start off talking about your hobby journey. Uh, why don't you take us through your history, kind of start at the beginning and, and weave us through it. 
Yeah. So as you mentioned, I uh, started about seven or eight years old and just buying packs and, and kind of trading with kids at school. And um, through, through the years, through elementary school, I uh, just became accumulated just a lot of cards. You know, it was about, I was about volume, you know, early on. And one pretty interesting thing is I really learned how to read uh, by reading the backs of the cards. And, you know, I knew the stats of all the different players and out of like a, a set of 792 tops cards, I probably knew the names of just about all of them, you know, and I just think about that and, um, you know, it's just, it's just kind of, it brings you back um, to those times. And, and then when I was really young as well, uh, I was kind of being um, uh, a little entrepreneurial and I would sell cards down at the end of my driveway, kind of as a little uh, a dealer setup, almost like I'm selling, you know, lemonade or vegetables, but I was selling baseball cards. And um, my parents had a place in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and I would also go out there and I would caddy in the morning. And then when I got done with caddying, I would go and I sell baseball cards um, my driveway, I put up signs like we're having a yard sale. And, uh, that was just something that that I recall that was, that was fun. Um, and I took about, about 10 year hiatus through high school and college. And I was living out in California for a year and I learned about PSA. And when I came back, um, I grabbed some of my collection that I had, uh, when I was a child, I went back to my parents' house, grabbed some, some of my collection. And I found, uh, learned about grading a little bit more. And so I submitted my first batch of cards to PSA. It might've been 10 or 15 cards, initial, um, when you do the Collectors Club membership. And a few of the cards I submitted, I can remember, uh, Ricky Henderson, rookie card. I had a, a random TO6 baseball card, um, a couple other football cards, not, you know, baseball. Nothing too, nothing too impressive. And I got my grades back and I realized I didn't know too much about grading as I thought I did. And so I, I learned a lot about um, the process. And then, you know, from that point on, I got my first graded card. Um, and we might talk about that, but it was a, a 1961 Fleer Bob Cousy card. And I won that in a... Um, was a memory lane or a mile high auction. And from that point on, the rest is history in terms of uh, going and collecting uh, credit cards. Right on. Yeah. So a couple of things I want to dive into deeper in that whole history is you were a baseball kid in the uh, early, in your early days, which would have mm -hmm. been like the late 80s. Yeah. But some, at some point you transitioned over to basketball. So I want to get to that. But also you mentioned Ricky Henderson was one of the first cards you ever graded. And uh, the Henderson Rookie is a card that's special to me too, Jeff. Yeah. I was uh, right out of high school. I went to Australia for a year on the Students Working Abroad program. And when mm -hmm. I came back, I flew through LA. And I had a great uncle that lived there. And he took me, uh, he took me to a, a baseball card shop. And, uh, and I bought the Ricky Henderson Rookie. Uh, probably nine, this, was, this was April 1991. Yeah. I don't know where the shop was, who the pr proprietor of the shop was. I don't have any recollection of that. But that card was always special to me, and uh, and I no longer have that copy, and I no longer have a Henderson rookie, but I definitely want to get one. I saw one at the local card show today, uh, 
didn't you know it was a it was a PSA seven a nice nice looking copy but the guy said oh he's like it's from my personal collection if it doesn't sell I'm okay with that I don't want to buy it from his personal collection mm -hmm. uh, but in any event um, talk a bit about how you moved from baseball over to basketball what was the impetus for that yeah yeah so I I was pretty much hundred uh, percent baseball as you mentioned and right when basketball started to branch out from tops for, you know around the the 8990 time frame uh skybox came out and it was a very hyped up set uh david robinson and you know michael jordan a bunch of other players and so i put put together a complete set of that with my um my mother actually and that was uh the first time i got into basketball and then i really started watching michael jordan and getting into his his cars and from then i was probably 50-50 baseball, basketball. And then when I started back um, after um, college, it was 100% basketball. Okay, right on. And we're going to get into that. So I have one more story about me and then I promise everybody mm -hmm. we'll focus back on Jeff. But speaking of Skybox, so again, as I mentioned a minute ago, Jeff, mm -hmm. I was in Australia from September of 1990 until April of 1991. And uh, me and a friend of mine went there and we lived in Sydney and we were both bus boys at the Hard Rock Cafe in Sydney. And I remember um, going to a like a book game store and finding Sky 1990, I guess it was the first year of Skybox basketball packs sitting on the shelf or yeah. on, on the front on the counter at the checkout counter of this, you know, comic and game store. And I was like. I have to start buying these packs because it was, to me, it was a taste of home. It reminded me of being at home. And I was, I was 18 years old. I was a little bit homesick. So yeah. I was buying packs of, of nine, I think it was 1990, right? The first year of Skybox. Yeah. yeah. Packs of 1990 Skybox in Sydney, Australia, and opening those uh, when I was there supposed to be, you know, kind of, you know, finding myself uh, doing some traveling. But uh, so that, that said has a special place with me. And I think it's interesting that it has a special place with you as really your mm -hmm. first foray into basketball and you mentioned it had david robinson michael jordan but it was those graphics on them those backgrounds that were now you look at them you, you're kind of like eh. but back then they were they were kind of revolutionary like how did you lasers. feel about them what's that like lasers like uh the 90s colors yeah yeah exactly so okay um we're gonna get more into uh you know your <laughs> when you said and kind of then then it was then then it was just you let loose after the point where you, you left off last time. But let's go to the chat for a moment and just say hello to who we have here. Run through some comments. Jake Dahl, welcome. Jake is also in the house. Frank, good to see you. Thank you for joining as always. Uh, yeah, Bill, I was muted. I don't know why, but I was muted. Thanks, Timeless. Thank you, Jake. Yeah, thanks, Frank. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate you guys. Uh, baseball card curmudgeon good to see you thank you for being here Richard Zangrillo says Jeff Hart is the man and I mean you guys know each other so that's really cool no more reading lips thank you Scott Pope welcome to the show Jake's toe says you must like listening to yourself not want to have to do it back to back twice but uh, thank you so much JMF says what are we pumping tonight the hobby JMF we are always pumping the hobby on this show Albert says, finally get to watch an episode again. Good evening, Jeremy and Jack. Good evening to uh, uh, good evening to Albert. Uh, Jeremy, hello. Hello. This is fellow five ball, also named Jeremy. Good to see you. Chad Shipper, what's going on? Joe Perot, good to see us. Says Jeff has a fire collection. 
JMF, I, as I mentioned, I felt it, uh, I felt it, Jeff, uh, at the poker table. But I will say that I pretty much got felted before I went home for the night myself. So Sanderson to or Eric says, can't find a nicer guy than Jeff in the hobby. Always fun to go to shows with him. That's really nice. Richard says, Jeff gave me the greatest gift ever at the National, a PSA 10 egg. Only Clubhouse OGs will understand. I certainly know what you're talking about there. Richard, hello, Jeff McMahon. Trevor LeConte says, smash the likes, family. Thank you. Justin Vick, Todd McDonald, good to see you. And Vintage Card Collector. Yeah, we're going to see some awesome vintage cards tonight. We're definitely going to. And Dave Hart from Ontario, New York. Good to see you. I wonder if there's any relation between Dave Hart and Jeff Hart. Okay, Jeff. Let's talk a bit about, um, you know what, I want I want to start with, um, yeah, let's do this. Let's talk about the first, when you started really getting into graded cards, where was your focus? Yeah, so my focus when I first started was the uh, Boston Celtics. So I wanted to, on the PSA set registry, they had a uh, set you could collect uh, key card set called all time Celtics. And so I wanted to build that, build that set and started to learn about these old sets that I never knew existed before, like, you know, 57 tops basketball, 61 Fleer tops basketball, and started, you know, buying the rookie cards of those players and learning a lot about the game, the history of it. And I just kind of fell in love with, uh, the vintage and, just kind of going back and learning about, you know, the, the great players, you know, prior to today. And it did start with a 61 Fleer uh, Koozie card, as I mentioned, not his rookie card. Um, but when I was doing that, the uh, Celtic set, I also started to put together a 61 Fleer set. And so that's been uh, constant for me ever since 2006. 2005, 2006, uh, when I started with uh, Grady Cards. So you started with the Koozie from 61. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, his rookie card is in the 57 top set, along with Bill Russell. Those would be the two key cards from that set. You had the Koozie. What kind of like switched in your mind that made you say, okay, I've got one card. I'm I'm now going to go for that whole set. Was it because you had some Celtics, some other Celtics from the set as well? Like what was the trying to get into the mind of you as a collector here yeah what kind of went off for you that made you say okay now we're gonna chase that whole set and how many cards are in the 61 Fleer set yeah it's 66 cards um there it's uh 44 cards that are you can look at it as your base cards and 22 44 and then 22 in action cards so kind of like a duplicate of the same player and out of that set there's probably I'd say close to 40 of them are Hall of Famers. So it was a set that, to me, it was easy to, easier to collect than baseball, having only, you know, 66 cards. And there was so many so much star power in it that I thought it would just had a good long-term potential. And so, I, you know, I went – I just kind of went for that, and I started building it. Um, and at the time, my goal was to build it in PSA 8. So I was uh, putting that together and doing that over time. And then over the years, I continued upgrading my set and have probably uh, 80% nines, you know, at this point in that set. And 
I just love it. And, um, you know, it's, it's still one of my favorites uh, today. Yeah, as you know, as it should be. I love it, too. Um, I love, I, you know, I, have, I only have one card from it, the Wilt Chamberlain. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd love to get a Jerry West and Oscar Robertson, maybe eventually an Elgin Baylor. I think those are the key, the four key rookie cards in the set. Yeah. But I love the Wilt Chamberlain in that set so much. So, you know, you mentioned that you're, you're, it's kind of been an ongoing thing for you and you, you've upgraded your way through it. Like, describe the process of that from a, from a set collector's perspective, a set registry perspective. Like, a lot of people, I've heard of people upgrading. Well, you hear about it all the time, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But can you just explain the mindset and like, and how do you, in your mind, get sort of around the the fact that you're spending more and more money on the same set, and and why is it so important to upgrade from a seven to a seven point five or a seven to an eight, and keep mm-hmm. keep on going? Why is it important to you to upgrade? And just yeah. explain the process, and and I'll stop there. Too many too many questions i'll ask the next one later yeah um so i think the first off is that you're taking on a challenge you know you're you you have that collector's mentality and you're like okay i'm gonna do this and i'm gonna complete it and the i would say the uh, the motivation to continue to improve it is absolutely driven by the psa set registry and so you have in the registry each card has a weighting and, you know, between um, one and 10, depending on the value of the card. And then you have the grade. And so there's a multiplier with that and you got you get a score. So uh, what I'm getting at is that you have this uh, score that you achieve based on your condition of your cards. And with that, um, you kind of have this competitiveness with others that are collecting that set at the same time. And so you have a leaderboard and you, you kind of, you know, just incrementally upgrading a card in your set can move you up a notch, you know, in terms of having uh, the best set or better than, you know, you just kind of, you know, have progress. And so I think it's just the mindset of a collector and of being on the registry that just motivates you. So, you know, we talked about it and, you know, the register, the, the PSA set registry is, mm-hmm. it's an amazing thing. It might be the smartest thing they ever did to create all this loyalty yeah. and, uh, and for people to want their car, their cards in PSA slabs for the purpose of competing on the registry. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, you know, and it's funny, I just saw this comment come in here. Matt Clark says the registry has ruined my life. And I've been, I was very active on the registry for several years as well. I think I had about 60 or 70 different sets going and you know, all sorts of different things. Um, I'm no longer doing it personally, but I know many people still are, of course. And, you know, it, it, it seems to me like, like for you as a collector, mm-hmm. you, you've got the collector party that wants a complete set, but then there's a competitor within you, within that collector as well that wants to compete with other people doing the set. Is mm-hmm. it fair to like, what is, what is more important to you, the collecting or the competing? Um, I, I would say that's the collecting and the competition, you know, competing in me is still there as well. So it's definitely a combination. Uh, but what I will say that comes out of it is relationships, hobby relationships um, within 
you know, it started within the registry. So there's competition, but at the same time, you're also helping other collectors out improve their sets. So you're, you're competing and helping at the same time. And by that, you make a lot of relationships and friends and people are there helping each other improve. Um, so it's just, it just, to me, it was always just an amazing um, experience for me. And also the relationships that I've, I've developed over time um, have been really valuable for me. Um, <clears throat> one just, I just want to give a shout out to is uh, the person that um, got me started in the 1957 set and reached out to me personally and congratulated me on, you know, starting the set. And I was just at the beginning of it was uh, Michael Ricosi. And so he is truly the king of vintage basketball. Um, and he's, so he's a mentor and a friend. He's taught me a lot. And I basically, I know we can talk about this, but um, he basically got me started in that one set and, um, got me motivated to kind of keep continuing the journey as I went. So it was, um, you know, like I said, it's the relationships and that's to me kind of overtakes a lot of the collecting and top competition. So it's a balance of those things. Yeah. It's a great comment. I, I'm so happy you shout out Michael Ricosi. Uh, I know I, I, I shouldn't, I guess I know him. I had him on an episode of collectible live, uh, mm -hmm gosh, this is probably about eight or nine months ago. And uh, what a great guest he was. And when you say the king of vintage basketball, um, I think there's there's really no arguing that. But, you know, I, I looked at your your listing on the set registry. And, I mean, you, your, your set registry is extremely impressive. Like, you've got awards. You've got 100% you, you've completion in so many different sets that you're in. You know, whether all, you've got, like, basically you've got every single NBA team they're all time greats. Those are all separate mm -hmm. sets on the registry. And you're like, you're like number one, 100% complete or num number one or two in, in like all of them, it seemed like to me. Um, I, 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 I couldn't believe just how, how high up on the leaderboard you are on so many of these sets. Not that I was not that I had no reason not to believe it, but I was like, wow, this is this is some serious stuff. Mm -hmm. And and then you shout out Michael Ricosi. Is he still like he had the all time great sets for many of these things? Does he still where where does he fall now? What's he been up to? If you can if you can speak at all to that, sure, absolutely. I mean, he's he's still in the game. Um, he's still he still um, is the leader in the we call him the big three in vintage basketball. So, 1948 Bowman, 1957 Tops, 1961 Fleer, and so you know he's amassed almost perfect sets of those those three where you can't even improve a card in the set. So he's still, um, you know, he's still involved in those sets and also a lot of the hall of fame rookies. So, you know, absolutely. Um, he's, uh, he's still a big part of the hobby. That's great. And so, you know, you also mentioned, you know, he, he reached out to you and he helped you kickstart your 57 top set. What, mm -hmm. how did he, how did he do that? What what did he do for you that helped you kick that off? And really talk about just what that meant to you uh, in the context of how well did you know him at the time? Yeah, so so I didn't know him well at all. I I had just started, um, you know, building some of the Celtics players, 57 tops. So I had purchased a Kuzi and a Russell and, you know, Tommy Heinsohn and a Frank Ramsey, a few other players. 
And he reached out to me um, through the registry. There's a, there's a, you know, someone you can contact each other um, through, you know, through there. And so he sent me a note saying, you know, your collection is very impressive. I like to, um, you know, talk to you more about the set. So we got in touch and um, he helped, he helped me essentially kind of advise me on how to, how to collect that set and, you know, exchange some, uh, some cards. And, and from there um, it, we kind of kept, uh, kept in touch and just, you know, he learned more about my, uh, my collection. I learned a lot about his amazing collection. And, you know, from there, I would say, um, he, he was a person that introduced me to the national and that really changed and kind of took things to the next level for me. Cause if I knew about that, I would have been there 10 years before, uh, my first one. Right on. I want to come back to that in a moment, but yeah. do you mind if I share your set registry list with the, with the audience here? Sure. Okay. So I'm just going to share my screen guys. And, um, and you'll see if you if you're familiar with the PSA set registry, you will understand just how impressive this is. So, this is uh, as you can see right here. This is the Hart collection. These are all his sets within the registry. It looks like he's got 81 altogether. We're on the first page, and every time you see one of these stars in the year, that means that that his set was named as like the best set in that year. And like you know, I've mentioned I've been participating in this set registry for. I don't know, probably 10 years myself. I never once received one of these things. And look at all of them. He's, he's got like, he's got like 50 of them here. It's super impressive. I also would, would point out for people to look at the rank column. So I might've got it wrong when I said you're one or two. Well, look at all these number ones. Your first, your first place in all of these, your second place in all of these, third place, fourth place. But what I also find really important when you're looking at these sets is the percentage complete. This column right here, wait, let's go. Yeah, let's let's do this. Percentage complete. It's funny how you can sort. You've got all of these sets that are 100% complete. I'm not seeing how many cards you need for each one, but you also have the weighted GPA. So you're, yep. you're the average grade. And you might be looking and say, well, there's no such thing in PSA as a grade higher than a 10. How does he have all these 11s and 10 point somethings? And that's because you get bonus points for having like the best card and certain <laughs> things like that. So but what's just really so awesome about all this is just for me, what's the most awesome, Jeff, are all of these, these, uh, these are all certificate award winners, as you can see, certificate award winners, which when you look at Jeff's collection within basketball, it is really broad within basketball. And I know I'm moving around a lot, so it's hard to see, but you've got, he's got the Dirk Nowitzki rookie set. I mean, I'm just going to call out some random ones, the all-time NBA guards, all-time NBA forwards. The 75th anniversary team looks like you might need one more card there. The Bob Cousy mm -hmm. master set. He's got 90% complete all time. 76ers, Bulls, Celtics, Warriors, Pistons, like all the different teams, all time Rockets, future hall of fame players. That's a fun one actually, because it can be a little, it can move a little bit, right? You never know uh, mm -hmm. how do, how do, how do they vote in a player who's a future hall of famer? Uh, and, you know, I know that they go to the, mm. the people who are in the set registry to vote in and all the other teams here, Jazz, Sun, Sonics, Bucks, really cool. But I think you're the one you, you mentioned the big three. So how would I find though? What are the big three? The Hall of Fame? Is, what's the most important one to you? Let me ask you that. Yeah. So it's 1961 Fleer is still the most important to me. 
and I would say 57 tops and one that I'm currently uh, putting together uh, that I find pretty, pretty fascinating is the 1971 top set. And the reason for that, um, first, it just has, again, it has a lot of star power to it. There's a little over 200, 233 cards. So it's the biggest set that I've put together. Um, but at that time in the 70s, you have, you know, Pete Maravich, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, uh, Wilt Chamberlain, all those, all those players, John Havlicek. And then 1971 is the first year of cards that has the ABA players. And I just think that that's really cool, in my opinion. You just see these names of teams that you've never heard of before. Um, and then you start to find out a lot about the game, uh, learning about the ABA. So I kind of dug myself into history a little bit more as I uh, kind of advanced into into different things. So learning a lot by the ABA, I started a um, an ABA master set. Uh, basically, there's a there's a year when they had the the 30th anniversary of the ABA. And so they built, they voted the, the players and the, um, the uh, media voted on uh, the best ABA players. And they came up with a top 30. And so then, then a set was built around that. And then I, um, a goal of mine was to collect the, those great ABA players in the best grade possible. And so that was a, that's one that actually has a lot of meaning to me that uh, I've put together and, and, you know, 30 cards is more achievable and just, you know, try to make that as best as I could. Um, and then from there, I kind of branched out a lot into other things. So WNBA for, um, for example, and then uh, one that I've recently started to get into, and these cards are more sentimental because they just don't have as much market value right now are international players. So learning about the international game, uh, FIBA, and some of the, the great players that were never in the NBA and most people haven't heard of. But, you know, there's a lot of, you know, Panini cards, Panini stickers of them and, and others. And so you start to learn about the international game. And I just kind of just became, um, you know, tried to become as knowledgeable as I could about all parts of basketball. You just love studying the history of the sport, don't you? I do. Yep. Yeah. I, th I think, I think that's part of there. There's, there's a, there's a certain collector, a certain uh, attribute that some collectors have. I don't think everybody has it, but I think, I think as you go further back in time, you become a student of the history of the game and you want to learn mm -hmm. about it. And, and part of that might be because you want to justify purchasing cards from, from eras that are well before you were born. Mm -hmm. And so you know, it's like I could go chase a George Mikan rookie from the 48 Bowman basketball set, um, but I never saw him play. I don't know anything yeah. about him. How that said, when you go research who he was and the and and what he meant to the game, you learn that he was he was the first superstar of basketball, and and they mm -hmm. they invented the goaltending rule because of him because he was right. stopping the ball from going in on its way down the arc. I mean, that's all pretty cool stuff. And if, if you, if we are fans of sport, it's nice to understand the history and who the pioneers were. So mm -hmm. I think it's really cool to, uh, 
to do that. And that's what the beauty of vintage is that you're not just collecting pieces to fill in a uh, space in your binder or a hole in your collection. You're also collecting history, the history yep. of cardboard, the history of sports, uh, culture. It, it all kind of comes into play. Does that all resonate with you? Is that part of why you love collecting vintage? Um, absolutely. It's, it's just a lot is just learning, you know, like you said, the history of the game, um, and then digging into the the greats of your favorite teams. So that's you know the reason of going with the Boston Celtics. And I've not just collected cards with the Celtics. I've also uh, gotten into some memorabilia with them as well. Um, one thing I do have is a autographed cigar, victory cigar, Red Auerbach, which is which is a you know, a fun thing that I, I picked up at one time. And also um, when they. Uh, tore down the old Boston Garden, which unfortunately I never got to go to a game there, and I heard it was just a really great place to see a basketball game. Um, they decided to uh, cut up the park, the famous parquet floor. And so, what I um, have done or would do is get pieces of the floor and then get those autographed by the great Celtics players. And so, you know, thankfully, before a lot of these greats have passed away, I got their autographs on these. And um, that's something that, uh, you know, I, I find uh, uh, pretty cool to have. Right on. Right on. OK, I got mm -hmm. a bunch of things to ask you. We're going to go to some comments mm -hmm. first here. Hits and Chicks says Jeff Hart to the moon. So we're hyping Jeff Hart here. We're we're pumping Jeff Hart a little bit, too, I guess. Uh, Jake said, had my Henderson rookie stolen years ago, still looking for a graded eight or higher. I've been picky about it. And that's a card that you can be picky about because there's no mm -hmm. shortage of, uh, of Ricky Henderson rookies out there. Um, yeah, uh, Grotman cards in the house. Mitch, good evening to you. Joe Pro makes a really great comment here. Says it's so helpful to have mentors. And I think that that applies to regular life. It applies to your career. Mm -hmm. And it can apply to you in the hobby as well. You're you're a great example of that. Is there anything else you'd like to say about not maybe, I mean, Michael Ricosi, I, you know, and again, having met him, I spent a few hours with him, you know, I'll be in virtual studios, mm -hmm. but he's just seemed like uh, just a, a wonderful man all to, uh, overall, you know, and I could see him mentoring. So can you just speak uh, to the benefit of having, you know, of having a mentor in the hobby uh, a little bit more and, not, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be about Michael himself, but just yeah. because other people are, might not have access to him. But should other collectors, should do you think collectors should seek out, you know, if they want to, a mentor in the hobby? Um, I Yeah, absolutely. And and I think it's, you can look at it as not just mentors, but also, you know, hobby contacts and friends and just getting to know more people in the hobby. And I think that, once you have someone that can kind of help you guide you on the journey that can save you uh, a lot of time and a lot of money in some cases, just by, you know, having someone give you advice of, you know, look for this in this card or um, look at something in certain condition. And, and I, it's just, I find it just invaluable. And that's one thing that I've always been proud of to be able to kind of help others. You know, you ask, someone asks you questions, you know, I'm very open to, um, to helping other collectors and providing any, any advice that I can, you know, if people are interested in what I do. So, um, I think it's, I think it's just, it's really important. It's, it kind of, um, it's kind of like anything, you know, it's, 
it just it just helps to kind of help you know help to have someone um, provide you advice along the way, no matter what it is. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a good point. And uh, anyone, if you're not, if anyone out there watching, if you're on Instagram, you're not yet following Jeff on Instagram. His Instagram handle is on the ticker right now at Patriot underscore Sports Cards. So feel free to give him a follow, and you never know, you guys could become a uh, hobby buddies i don't think it's too hard to become hobby friends with with jeff hart uh jake doll has a question for you jeff what's your favorite card and set let's let's jump into that question i think it's a great one yeah so the favorite set i still got a 60 61 fleer and i think jeremy and i share a similar card as the uh, favorite it would be my uh, will chamberlain let's see it all right I know we, we can do we don't Probably have to do it all player, but yeah it's uh it's such a beautiful I just I just love the card that to me yeah. is just it just reeks of iconicism yeah just with the black and white and then the colors I think kind of sort of just blends well together yeah such such a great card and very worthy of being your favorite set and I mean it's your favorite set partially because it's the first one you put together. Yep. And the Will Chamberlain, I think, speaks for itself. Tom Bullard says, uh, evening, fellow cardboard lovers, enthusiasts, and hoarders. Well said, Tom. Uh, good evening and welcome to the show. JMF says that Jeff is a WNBA whisperer. And uh, Mitch wants to know, what does Jeff consider to be the top Sabonis card? Is that something you're qualified to answer? Uh, yeah, I would say it's his rookie card. So he has a card in 1985. Uh, called Merchante. I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, Spanish card. And that is uh, his first card. So I would say it would be that. Right on. Thank you. There you go, Mitch. Hockey cards up. Welcome to the show. And Matt Clark, I think speaking about these, all these great vintage players and retired Hall of Famers says their legacies are cemented in stone. That is true. And therefore, the volatility of their values on the secondary markets are not quite as uh, pronounced as those of of our current rookies and, and young prospects. Uh, but hey, there's room for in the hobby for everyone to collect everything. Uh, just depends what you're into. Um, you know, when you have a, a habit of upgrading cards regularly, you really have to watch your budget, right? Because, you know, you could... You could see cart, a card out there that you don't currently own that you want to buy, but then there's an upgrade available to you, and that could consume all of your financial resources. Mm -hmm. um, how do you deal with that? And what's your? Do you have a motto when? It, like some people, some people's motto is collect what you like, buy what you like. Um, you know, collect like buy buy the best you can afford. What? Yeah. what how do you? How do you govern yourself when it comes to these things? Yeah, I think I think you you hit it right there. It's the it's always been buy the best you can afford for me, and I just think that that leads to kind of your your best of, um, potential of you know investment or return in the long run. And I I would say that it's when you look at these auction catalogs and and some of these cards it. It's, you know, there's so many, so many cards you would, you'd want to have. And so it's, it's difficult to kind of, you know, realize, okay, what can you afford or can't you afford? Um, and for me, it's, 
it's it's always about kind of coming up with what that number is that makes the most sense for you and your budget and then finding a way to get there uh, for me a lot a lot of it is doing um, buy, buying cards raw and grading and then kind of re, you know reselling those and using those funds to kind of build your collection and that's what I've done over the years and um, also uh, one thing that I've I've done that have help give me higher grades and, and this is not an easy task is submitting cards to PSA for review and being able to get a bump of a grade. And so, you know, I've been blessed and lucky to have some nines that I've submitted up being upgraded to tens. And so those, you know, when I couldn't afford the 10, I made my own 10 by, you know, submitting a nine. So <laughs> the other thing that I think is important as well is not just, um, you know, it's not just having the best you can afford. It's also having a good eye and trying to, you know, buy the card within the holder and whatever that is. And, and I think that's very important because there's such a range of, you know, as you know, there's such a range of different cards within the grade and then being able to find the best you card you can in that certain grade often, you know, can, can pay off in the long run. And that's kind of the eye appeal angle, you know, that uh, a lot of people talk about. And I think you're right. Um, the, the 10 point grading scales is, is very limited in, in, in really in descript in descriptive value, but uh, it does allow for you to then try and just pick out one that is really strong for the grade. And, um, and if you can uh, buy, buy, buy a, a card in one grade and resubmit it to the same company and get it back in a higher grade, um, yep. which is a, a, which is a bit of an angle that a lot of people do play in the hobby. Um, okay. I want to do a couple of, a couple of comments here. Uh, actually just one comment here. Jake says that PSA should let Jeff upgrade all his old slabs to the newest slab free of charge with all of his awards. Yes, they should. Yes, they should. Jeff, I'd love to see them do something for you. Um, okay. So we talk about buying the best we can afford. And I've always been aware of that as a, as a piece of advice that, you know, mm -hmm. that, that the hobby veterans like to pass down to, to, to all of us newcomers along the way. My issue with that, Jeff, is that if I spend what I can afford on one card, I might have nothing left to afford on another card. So, so, so my, the way that I deal with that is I say, yeah. is I kind of just, I refine it a little bit and I say, buy the best I can afford that I want to allocate to that card. As long mm -hmm. as I have some, some resources left over to buy the next card that I'm going to want to buy, because let me tell you, there's yeah. always the next card that I want to buy. And I'm sure that goes for everybody watching right now. Mm -hmm. So how do you, how do you do that? Like, have you ever found yourself in a position where it's like, okay, here's an upgrade for an important card from one of my sets. Mm -hmm. I need to buy it. It's taking up all my money, all my budget for either this year or this month or this quarter. And then you have to wait to kind of save up again to afford another card. Like, how do you manage that within your own set, within your own collection? Yeah, I, I a lot of it just comes down to... Um, just just the grind, like I mentioned of, you know, first off, do I need to sell something to get a card that I think is more important? It's going to be more difficult to acquire. And 
using that, um, that is one angle. And then, you know, coming down to, to the grading, um, you know, I, I just have to go back to that uh, where you can make, you know, doing it, you know, certain ways you can make a good return off of, um, you know, grading and selling cards. And that just kind of provides you a, um, you know, a bank and a run that you can just kind of keep improving and growing your collection. Um, and I think that's, that's the, that's the, you know, you know, the way I've done it in a nutshell, honestly. Yeah, no, fair. I mean, I, I would think that every time you buy a card, it's sort of an independent decision. You got to think mm -hmm. about your whole situation and then decide if you're going to pull the trigger, especially if yeah. it's for an amount that is of significant value to you. And you know, yeah. when I look at your set registry and I, and I understand the scope of your collection, I think, wow, this guy's got to be loaded. This guy's got to have millions of dollars cash in the bank. My understanding is that you don't. So if that, so how, like, you're a very inspiring collector, I, I would think, because you have, you, you, you come, you are a sort of an, uh, and listen, I don't know anything about your personal financial situation, but my perspective based on our discussion is that you're a normal guy. You know, you're not, you're, you're, you're not flush with millions of bucks in the bank. Yeah. What sort of advice would you give somebody who wants to build a collection, like a really solid collection on I don't know what what word to use here, like on on a just a respectable annual income sort of thing. Yeah, I I think I think it's to first you know come up with a goal and of what you of what you want to do. You know whether it's a a player or a or a or a set and start. You know, don't try to get yourself. Don't spread yourself too thin. And just, just to start somewhere and kind of see, you know, like anything, you you um, you start, you kind of build some momentum, and you're you're building towards something. Um, and you know, I must say that, you know, from when I started uh, over, you know, 15, 16 years ago to now, cards have increased the value a lot. So that, you know, that's that's been a factor where when I purchase a lot of these, you know, they they weren't as expensive as they are, are now. Um, but when, when I, what I go back to is I think you start, you start small and you start to build your way up. Um, and just, it's like an incremental type. It's to me, it's just, it's a grind, honestly. It's like an incremental type of um, progress for me. And I, I think one thing it comes down to as well is patience. And that's something that's very difficult to do as a collector. I'm sure most people can sympathize with that because yeah. you, you want to get that card, you know, you, you want to get it uh, sometimes at, you know, whatever price the market might not be in the most ideal spot for a certain card. And so you have to be patient if you know whether, okay, I might want to wait until this card actually goes down uh, a little bit at, for the right price point. And sometimes that doesn't work out the right way for you, but a lot of times it does, or you want to wait to get a certain copy of the card and you have a little, you know, it got to hold back and have the patience to, to do that. Um, and I, and I think that, you know, it kind of, it kind of, um, 
you know, keeps you, it keeps you kind of motivated, uh, you know, to just to find, just to find the right car that you're looking for. And, you know, I also go back to, you know, looking at patients, I think about it and, you know, like I don't just buy off eBay. I also do auction houses as well. And, um, you know, the likes of like Heritage and Mile High and Memory Lane and among, among other auction houses and the PWCC and among others. Um, but a lot of those in, in the past years, usually there's different formats and they, a lot of the auctions way back used to start at like 10 o'clock and would go till five in the morning. And they've, a lot of those have kind of been improved over time where they don't do that as much anymore. But I've been patient sometimes where I've been kept myself up pressing a button at three, four in the morning, you know, just to make sure that, um, you know, I, I want a card that I was really interested in. And, you know, that kind of makes you think back to when I got this card, that's what I was doing at the time. And you just kind of have those, those random memories of, of certain cards. Yeah, I, for sure. I, I love that. I think I think the biggest takeaway as far as advice for mm-hmm. people who are looking to build a collection is patience. And mm-hmm. patience would have worked against you in 2020 and 2021, Absolutely. but but it didn't work against you all that all that much leading up to then. It was a you know the values of cards just as an index were a lot mm-hmm. a lot more uh, slow. It was just a slower rise, you know. Yeah. So. I think patience is, is, is probably the most important advice that comes out of what you just said. But I do like at the end how you also talked about, you know, you can then you can look at a card and remember thinking back to when you got it and tell the story and all that is, is mm-hmm. a lot of fun as well. Um, OK, we're going to go to these two comments here. Uh, this first question is directed to you, Jeff, but I'm going to I'm going to uh, I'm going to take it if you don't mind. And we'll, we'll get to it here. So Grotman says. Does Jeff think there's a market opportunity for grading companies to have a subcategory for eye appeal? And then uh, Silver Bull says, I think they should do that. As a coin collector, I know how eye appeal can increase a card's value. So I'm going to explain why they shouldn't do that and why they won't do that. And here's why, guys. Here's why they shouldn't do it. Because it's a huge conflict, first of all, for them, for a grading company, to tell you an eye appeal. They are there to assess the grade of a card based on... Uh, based on a technical set of standards and you can see those on any grading company's website that is what they're that that is really what they're doing as far as a grade they're grading a card based on a technical set of standards so if they then come along and give you an eye appeal rating they are bringing into question their own grade the own the own their own technical grade i believe that the current system of eye appeal designations is the way it should be i know a lot of people don't like them but i think they make a lot more sense for third parties to come around and say, hey, here's a here's a card that is either strong for the grade. You know, you can have a, a, a 52 tops Mickey Mantle in a PSA one holder that could look mm-hmm. like a seven because it's got a pinhole in it or some paper loss on the back or something like that. That's going to be strong for the grade. It's going to have a high eye appeal rating, but that should be left to third parties who are not involved, who are not part of the grading company. That is best served by the, the services that already are, that are already doing them. The Mike Baker authenticated. A lot of people don't understand. They say it's grading the grader. It's not grading the grader. It's actually, it's actually calling out the limitations of a technical set of standards that, mm-hmm. that are that have been in place for, for over 30 years. So Mike Baker authenticated and the PWCC, um, I appeal designations, 
that's what they're there to do. They're there to help people who don't maybe understand I appeal or don't understand a technical grade versus what's strong or weak or average for the grade and say, hey, based on our experience of seeing hundreds of these cards, this one stands out as very special and very nice for the technical grade. So mm -hmm. the fact that you have PWCC doing it and the fact that you have Mike Baker authenticated doing it, or I'm not sure whatever he calls his service. Um, and these, these are people that have seen tons of cards. I think Mike Baker was one of PSA's very first graders in, at the beginning of time. So they're yeah. definitely qualified for it. And then you've got all of the amateur quarterbacks like myself who sit there and tell you that this is a great card for the grade because it looks good. But for a grading company to tell you that this is a great looking card for the grade and they've already put their grade on it, I just think that that's uh, that's a recipe for um, just a lot of a lot of a lot of conflict. And I that, and I don't think they they should do it, and I don't think they would do it. But the question was directed at you, Jeff. You could tell I I wanted to take it myself, based on what I based on the question, based on what I've said. Where do you fall? Um, I, I fall exactly with with how you how you think about it. It's every company has their like you said, technical set of uh, standards and grades, and that's how they should judge every single card that comes into their company. And, um, you know, like, like you said, after, after that, it's really the collector or the, uh, a third party, you know, company or, or assessor to tell you otherwise and give give their own opinion of, what's in that holder, but that definitely should come after uh, secondary. Yeah, I agree. And I think it, I, I also, you know, believe it should be a third party to mm. do it. And I think that's a perfect sort of setup and situation uh, for, for those cards when you do have somebody else who is a, you know, a renowned expert or, or just doesn't have to even have to be a renowned expert, somebody that you as a consumer can just trust and you can decide that for yourself, whether you trust, one person or one company's eye appeal designation, or you have a you have a friend in the hobby whose opinion you trust, and you send them a copy and say, "Hey, what do you think of this?" Or you know, you're at a show together, you show them, you say, "Hey, do you think this is this has great eye appeal for the for the grade?" That sort of thing. So, I, I think we're on the same page there. And I think once you sort of think of that in that context, you kind of can probably come back and, and agree with with uh, with these positions. I would I would hope. Uh, Jake's Jake's toe about a comment from earlier says maybe not in the bank, but in his vault. And I think that describes a lot of people in the hobby that are, um, you know, you may not be liquid, uh, liquid rich or, 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 you know, flush with value or, or at least, um, some worth, but, uh, but several people have that in cardboard, which is just not money, but it's, uh, somewhat liquid. That's for sure. Um, Wes Dubois asked the question, why is a card that is still in a factory set not automatically considered at least an, a, a nine? And Richard answered it perfectly because it's not guaranteed to have perfect centering edges, surface, or corners. And he's exactly right, Wes. The cards can bang around within a factory box. They might not have been cut centered at the factory originally. They could have <laughs> rough edges, all sorts of reasons. A print issue, you know, some black streaks through the surface of the card, that sort of thing. Uh, Toa says, not all cards... Not all cards and graded cards are the same, especially on the high end, definitely. Uh, JMF says, I always feel that the term I appeal is a marketing tactic to sell graded cards in a certain grade. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so, JMF. Now, listen, sometimes it certainly is. Sometimes somebody can just say, hi, I appeal in the description. 
but if you're not if you're not applying your eye appeal standards on a consistent basis and you're just throwing it out there whenever you feel like it willy-nilly you're doing a disservice and you are just doing it for marketing i think your your comment is not bad jmf but the term always your second word there always is wrong you should substitute that with sometimes and i think that you're bang on with that uh joe perot says when the boom happened and the vintage basketball market surged were there any particular vintage cards that surprised even jeff and how quickly they gained favor and increased in price. Over to you, Jeff. Uh, great question. I I would say I, I would say I was very surprised how quickly the the bird magic went up in price compared to what it was at one point in time. Uh, just in a a nine PSA nine holder, for example, that card you could get for believe it or not. $1,500, you know, $2,000. And at one point, I think it went up to almost $40,000. And that, in for a card that, you know, reasonably has a larger population in consideration of other vintage cards, that was very surprising to me. Um, I think that uh, this card probably deserves to be high, but it went really fast, was Dr. J's rookie card as well. That... Um, that again was about a $2,500 card for, for years and then moved up to 25,000 almost overnight. It was, it was just very uh, crazy to see. And we saw it with, we saw it with others too, the Bill Russell, yeah. we saw it with all the, all the, all the, the Mount Rushmore cards and even the next five or six after that, we saw it yeah. with all of those because all of a sudden, People who got into the hobby because of Luca and Zion mm-hmm. and Patrick Mahomes, you know, all of, and then, you know, the, the trio of baseball superstars and a couple hockey players, they started looking back and, and saying to themselves, hey, if I'm going to spend $5,000 on a Luca card, but yet I can get a Wilt Chamberlain for $5,000, shouldn't I buy a Wilt Chamberlain too, at least to hedge my bet a little bit from a financial perspective? Because, hey, He's an all-time great, and Luca's just getting started. Nothing against Luca at all. I'm nope. just saying that I think a lot of people realize that, and the vintage caught up. And I remember when vintage started catching up. It was actually at the end of um, it was at the end of 2020. It was right in that like September, October, November 2020. Vintage basketball started to catch up, and then in December, hockey kind of followed along. There were a couple of big sales. I remember that pretty clearly. Um, okay, we're going to just take some more questions here, Jeff. Uh, Mark Santucci does want to know does want to know if I'm going to have an after hour show. I wasn't planning on it, Mark, but I guess if enough people uh, want it, I could come back and just um, you know do a little Q and A sort of thing for sure. Toa says printing in mass quantity has human error and technical manufacturing error. They're not going to stop the press, which costs time and money to get one card perfect. Yeah. Uh, bingo right there definitely makes sense to me jake says did jeff liquidate any big cards during the card boom uh yes i would say but very selective so what what happened a lot is in some of the sets you might have um cards in a high grade that would go up in price a lot more than than you felt comfortable or that didn't just didn't make sense. And so a lot of those I would, I would let go and either 
wait till um, I thought it was at a more reasonable price, or I would just get take the grade down and downgrade. And so, and then I would use that and apply that to other cards I was interested in. So that's, you know, now that I mentioned it, that is another way that, um, you know, I was able to kind of gain, you gain additional funds and kind of use that uh, as like a market timing thing to, um, you know, to help gain and, and move up with your cards. Well said. Thank you for that. Uh, Mark has a question. He says, Jeff, do you have any cards of the doctor in a 76 uniform, 76ers uniform? I do. I um, I do have his rookie, but I, I'm trying to remember what year he went into a 76ers. Might have been uh, 74, maybe his third or fourth year. Um, and I collected or the registry set I have of uh, all Dr. J's cards. So from 72 to 86 or 87. So I do have 76ers. There you go, Mark. Another question. Do you have a favorite grade for any 70s cards? I like this question because it yeah. um, a lot of people kind of actually, you are willing to accept a lower graded card the further you go back. And a, a standard I've heard a lot of people is like, for the 50s, I want fives. For the 60s, I want sixes. For the 70s, I want sevens, 80s, eights. Mm -hmm. Where do you fall uh, in all of those decades? We'll just take Mark's question here and we'll we'll blow it up to being 50s through the 80s. Sure. Um, well, I mean, it's not just for me, um, and it's not for everyone, but for me, it's the 40s and 50s, 8s, the 60s, 9s, and then everything else 10s. This is this is crazy talk. You know that. I mean, like, we're talking about – it's not crazy. You know what I mean? Like, we're talking yeah. – super high grade here, very low populations and all that. But but you've also been working at this a long time and, and kind of building up your sets. Let's let's um let's do one thing. Let let's scale it back a little bit. Not you, sure. but what do you think mo where do you where do you what's your perspective, your perception on where kind of most people fall as far as those? Like I went through yeah. the fifties five, sixties, six little spiel there. Yeah. Is that accurate? Do you think most people fall there or where, where do you think is a good yeah. target? Yep, I, I think it's uh, I think it's pretty close to um, to what you're saying, Jeremy. Like, like the fifties and sixties, sixes and sevens, I would say is a is a pretty um, you know reasonable. I think in a really good price band, and then um, going from the seventies, eights, I think are very um, a very good band to be in. And then once you get into kind of the the more higher printing um in the 80s and 90s i think it's nines or tens depending on the player yeah i, I think so. i think so too but it all comes down to what you can afford and mm -hmm. i think there's there's nothing wrong with people especially if you want to have a wide range of players you know because the the lower the grade the more cards you can own just absolutely function of budget yep. and there's nothing wrong with picking up psa sixes and sevens or bgs or any of the companies yep. uh you know, sixes and sevens for the for the eighties. You know, the nineties. There's so many. It's not expensive to get tens. It just isn't for many yep. most players. Uh, you know, maybe of course Jeter and, and and some other ones aside. But you know, you can pick up cards from the seventies in in sevens and still have a pretty nice card and have a nice rounded collection. I think it's important for people to realize that a lot of what we see on social media. And in the, especially the auction catalogs and, uh, you know, a lot of Instagram posts and 
all that are is the best of the best. And it's really that's not what the hobby is all about. It is for some people, but you don't have you can still feel pretty good about building out and just sort of even just owning a copy of the card. Mm -hmm. I know people that collect PSA ones of everything because it's kind of cool. You can get a really nice one for a decent price. Yeah. You know, but you can also do twos, threes, fours, fives. You can do anything. So I, I just think it's important that people realize and not to get discouraged by what you sometimes see out there and just kind of, you know, stay in your lane, build out, you know, kind of, kind of allocate funds on a per card basis that you think makes sense. So you can get as many cards as you want. Maybe start off with a checklist and yep. a value you want to spend. Divide that value by the number of cards on that checklist. Now you know what you can spend on each card on yep. average and then go shopping. And I, I think that's also important too if you decide to broaden your collection. So if you branch out and go into different sports and want to do different players, I think that becomes even more important, you know, as you mentioned it. Definitely, especially you know, especially if you're going to be a multi-sport collector like like mm -hmm. myself, I do all of them. Like it's it you know you have to kind of watch what you're doing. So, okay, more questions here. Martin Birchall says, uh, "Do you have any plans to interview the film star William Shatner about being on Star Trek and starring in on T.J. Hooker and being the oldest man on space?" Yeah, of course I have plans to do that, Martin. I'm, I've been. I, I have plans for it, but I don't think that uh, our friend Bill has uh, any idea that I have those plans. But yeah, that's a great idea. And I, I would love to have William Shatner on the show, especially for his days on TJ Hooker. I mean, God, that was a good show. All right. Vintage Card Collector. Does Jeff think that high grade, so eight plus vintage basketball is now overvalued? I, no, I don't think so. I, it, Again, it's a lot of its dependence on, to me, the population of the cards. So sometimes uh, cards of players can get, um, you know, hyped up and can run up in value for sure. Um, but I, but I would say that, especially in cards with lower populations in the older years, I would say that you. I don't want to say you can't go wrong, but it's it's um, I think I think there's there's still good value there. Yeah, I, I I think that right now we're probably in a good spot. We've seen a lot mm -hmm. of values come down across the board on things. Mm -hmm. um, and but, you know, high grade, low pop vintage basketball. The thing about vintage basketball that's so much different from any other sport is that there's only three sets. There's only yep. three sets pre, pri, prior to like 1960, what, 69 or something 69. like that? Yeah. Yeah. Like you only have a 48, a 57, and a 61. And then there's no set for like 18 years, I believe. No widely distributed kind yep. of major set. So you don't have a lot of selection. And just like, think about the salary structure of an NBA team. You know, you've got like 10 guys on a team. Each guy's making 30 million a year because there's only 10 guys to pay compared to a football team or a baseball team or a hockey team. You've got mm -hmm. at least 20 players up to 70 or so on a football team. It's a lot more, a lot, a lot less average per player available than basketball. So it, it's similar. It's, it's, it's just a coincidence that that, that analogy kind of works, but there just aren't that many cards to collect in vintage basketball. Did, am I onto something there? Does that have, is that part of the reason do you think, or am I out to lunch? No, absolutely. I, 
it, it's funny because the, all those three sets were failed experiments by those three companies. So Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy right there? Yeah. Failed? Come on. Now they're failed experiments. And they're three different companies, if you notice. You know, there's Bowman. They tried their way into basketball, and that just wasn't popular. And then Tops gave their chance in 57, and that was a flop. And then Fleer did 1961. And that didn't sell well either. And they didn't go back into it for another 25 years until 1986. Um, and because of that is a reason why there's such low populations. So, you know, first it wasn't popular. So people, they didn't make as many from the beginning, just printing the presses, they didn't make as many. And then also there was very poor quality control on most of these sets. And there wasn't any focus on it. They you know, pay more attention to baseball or football as they produce the cards and basketball is an afterthought. So a lot of these cards are way off center. They have print defects, um, you know, and other problems. And then people didn't keep them, you know, as much either. So all those factors coming into it is you don't have as many sets and there's not as many of them to go around in higher grade. So that kind of gives you and the set checklist are smaller and have more Hall of Famers and stars in it. So that kind of gives you the, the rarity, the scarcity, and, um, you, you know, the popularity of having the best players in those sets. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's funny. Uh, they were all failed experiments, and now they yeah. are treasured. It's uh, It's crazy but uh, that's that's why it's it's kind of all it all is perfect right it's the fact that they were failed back then and there weren't many now people want what is rare it's just the way that uh, the, the collector mindset works and how mm -hmm. value is often driven as well mark wants to know jeff do you have any videos on youtube i mean you do now did you before tonight i didn't now this is my debut jake's toe says i may have missed it but does jeff collect any modern I've gotten to, yeah, short answer is yes. Um, I did a little bit by default just because of collecting the Hall of Fame rookie set. You know, there's there's more modern players coming into that. So, you know, it was funny. My most modern card was a 2012 Prism card. And, you know, I've, I've learned, I've come around and I've learned so much more about modern cards and um, cause I didn't collect in the era of Michael Jordan and this, the key 96, 97, 98. And so I missed out on learning a lot about those inserts and, and, and all that. And then modern cards today, um, I don't have any, you know, big cards, I would say of modern players, but I, um, have started to buy a couple here and there. And I've actually, I've actually moved out of my swim lane a little bit and into some other cards as well. Um, like a little bit of soccer cards, believe it or not. And um, I bought a, a couple of football cards. I bought a, a Wayne Gretzky card. Uh, yeah. I was hoping to hear something hockey, so thank yeah. you. Wayne Gretzky. That's my that's my only hockey card, I'm sad to say. That's the way it goes, though, when it comes to hockey for a lot of people. That's okay. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've also started to try to get into the autographed cards a little bit. And there's so much to learn there. And things vary so much. It's like, do you want a nice signature or do you want a nice grade of the card or do you want both? Mm -hmm. And 
uh, and it's the player. So there's so much to me, there's so much within those bands that it's kind of uh, very wide open and difficult to collect. So I'm starting to learn, trying to learn a bit more about that. You know, you just, what you just mentioned, no matter how advanced of a collector you are, no matter how long you've been in the hobby, you can always find something else to collect. There's there's so much out there. The body of work of this hobby is it's extraordinary. And you're never going to know it all. You're never going to be aware of every single card that's ever been made, especially with all these discoveries happening in all sorts of countries, on soccer cards especially, you know, boxing cards. We're hearing a lot about cricket cards nowadays. Mm -hmm. You've got racing cards. There's never... There's so much available, non-sport, you know, Hollywood, music, historical figures. There's all sorts of things that you can collect. There's a there's the 52 top set called the, I mean, the famous one being the baseball set. But then there's the look and see set, which is filled yeah. with historical figures. Babe Ruth actually has a card in that set. And I, I own two cards from that set. One is the, the, the Billy the Kid set, we got a card. And the second one is the Queen Elizabeth card. Wow. Who I, we all know just passed mm -hmm. away this past week. And all of a sudden, I started seeing Queen Elizabeth 52 Tops look and see cards on Twitter and Instagram and places. And I, I thought, oh, I have a, I have one of those. You know, I didn't show mine, but it's, uh, it, it's, it's just interesting how if you are a sports fan and then and therefore you collect cards, that's great. You're probably going to stick to sports. Mm -hmm. But if you are a card collector who also likes sports, or you know, depends how young you got started. These things are just sort of intertwined now. They're blended. You can find so many different things to collect. So just be open-minded or, or be curious even. And, uh, and, and if not, Hey, that's fine too. You collect, collect what you like as, as, as we like to say, uh, Darren says, is it even worth collecting these young, very good quarterbacks 2017 to present? I mean, only so many MVP awards and rings available to win. You think they can cancel each other out uh, kind of off topic, Darren, but that's okay. Uh, in my opinion, um, no, it's not worth it. That's in my opinion. I think that uh, I think it's 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 gambling a lot of the time. And and you said it right there, Darren. There's only so many MVP awards and rings. Now it's not just MVP awards and rings that contribute to a player's value. It's it's their own stats and their popularity uh, in their own in their own uh, region and also in the hobby overall. But yeah, I mean, you look back in time. How many quarterbacks are have cards worth money now? If we're just talking about financial value, how many quarterbacks have have cards that are worth money now? You can probably count them on on two or three hands, let alone in the last few years, you've got that many probably all together. So the cream will rise to the top is my thought. JG wants to know, uh, Jeff, do you collect any Bowman atomic refractors? I think that, I mean, I think you just said you didn't earlier, but uh, I'll let you just confirm. Yeah, no, um, not because they're not great cards. It's just, you know, I have to stay in my lane. And I think that they're, especially when you get into like the Jordans and, and stuff like that, those, some of those inserts and those refractors are just awesome cards. Um, but you know, short answer. Um, no, I don't have any of those. Okay. No problem. Uh, Darren wants to know, or sorry, Latrell wants to know, Jeff, do you collect any rare nineties cards like PMGs and rubies? And listen, you just said that you, this is an area that you're not well versed in. So let me just turn the, because we know you don't right now, but let me change the question a bit so we can keep Latrell's comment up here for a moment, which is, mm -hmm. do you intend to, are you curious, are you interested, are you tempted 
to get into some of these rare 90s inserts now? Uh, absolutely tempted and definitely curious. But when it comes to a lot of things, I probably would have got into it maybe five years ago. You know, would have been the you know the the time there because it's some of it's it's very very pricey. So you'd have to make a make a lot of different sacrifices to move into a lot of those cards. But I think that they're awesome. Like I, I really do. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. Uh, the 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 main you know the, the most popular important players are extremely pricey in those in those cards. Like your five figures just to get involved for the most part. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, Eric says that he's working on, Eric is working on you, Jeff, to get him to get more into hockey. It's a slow process. He says, well, Hey, Eric, you, you got him into a Gretzky rookie. That's a good start. Vintage card collector wants to, know, what is Jeff's opinion on vintage autographed rookies? That aspect seems to be gaining in popularity and we are seeing more and more of that. At least I'm seeing more and more of that on Instagram, mm -hmm. a few more cards in the PWCC premier auction uh, over the past few months. What are your thoughts on these, Jeff? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's it's something that I never considered in the past, and it's definitely gained a lot of popularity. And I I don't see that stopping, um, especially if a player has passed away, and you don't know how many cards that have been signed by that player. Then you you know these some of these cards pop up like you you, you see you know Babe Ruth uh, Goody or Gaudi cards autograph that pop up that just surfaced that no one had an idea that he actually signed those cards. And to me, it's just the fascinating factor of, of cards from way in the past, people having that vision to actually get them autographed and that they come out so nice and they're able to have the wear all to save them. And, um, you know, for them to actually just exist alone in, in some cases, and then, um, you know, compiling uh, a set of those to me is just is a great challenge that can be a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. It's a, it's something. It's something that is uh, super rare, especially you know deceased players. Mm -hmm. You know, like and, and we've seen we saw a Jackie Robinson autographed rookie card sell a month or two ago. I think. I think if the card wasn't autographed, it would have been like thirty thousand dollars, and it was autographed, it sold for like eighty-five thousand dollars, something like that. Yeah. And uh, I think it's because it's autographed. It's it's a I think it's a it's like it's a niche within the within the hobby. And um, personally, for me, Jeff, I don't I'm not interested. No, let me rephrase. I'm not interested in adding those to my collection. Mm -hmm. I have my hands full with my non-autographed card collecting, and um, and the, for me, there's something that it it takes away something from the card itself. Now I understand it also adds something to the card itself, mm -hmm. but it takes away from the, the artistry of the card because now you've got a scribble on there and I know it sounds harsh, but you do, you have a scribble that takes your eyes away from the, the original design and color and all that of the card. At least it does for me. And now you've got usually ballpoint, especially if it's from, you know, an older card. And for me, ballpoint pen autographs aren't, aren't the prettiest autographs out there. So yeah, I personally, I think it's cool that people are starting to collect them more and more and put a lot of money into them. I mean, hey, go for it. These are rare pieces. The player held the card. That's the coolest thing about it to me is that the player touched that card. So you have that kind of, you know, one degree of separation to that touching that player yourself or shaking that player's hand. 
you know, you've touched your card. Or maybe you haven't if it's encapsulated, but, you know, he's touched your card. So, uh, yeah, just some random thoughts there. But thanks for the question, Vintage Card Collector. And Jim wants to know, do you collect tickets? Um, I do not. But I am pretty interested just to see uh, the preservation. Like the, the modern, you know, the Super Bowl tickets is pretty cool. But to see tickets from, you know, the first World Series or some of these old tickets are just kind of just mind-blowing to me that they still exist. Um, so I am I probably won't get into tickets, but I, I think they're pretty cool. Yeah. You know, so same here, man. I mean, I, I think they're cool. Um, and when they first started gaining a lot of notoriety, and I was talking about a lot of them on Collectible Live, I was gaining, I was becoming interested. And as the time went by, I thought, you know what? They're, they are cool. It's cool, especially ones that were used that were at the game. I think that's really cool. I think what takes it up a notch is if it's your own ticket. To me, that's a cool. I still have my collection of ticket subs from concerts and events that I've been to for the past, you know, several decades. Um, mm -hmm. But I think tickets are cool. But I think that they're, I think that they're kind of, for me, I could see like coin collectors desiring them more than, card collectors and i might be way off on that but i'm and i'm just coming up with this as I, on the fly right now but when i look at them in slabs again yeah. they're cool and there's there's definitely some some there, there must be some inherent value into in them because they do signify and represent a single event that mm -hmm. hopefully something important happened in that's really cool but we talked about eye appeal earlier on there's like negative eye appeal when it comes to tickets. I mean, most of them, some of them have, some of them are beautiful. Some of them are, have pictures on them and players mm -hmm. on them. And even some of the vintage ones are cool, but a lot of them are, you know, like the Ticketmaster printed tickets. Mm -hmm. I, 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 there's to look at that doesn't, would not bring me any joy unless it was my own ticket. And I had that experience at that, at that event. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of, I was, I was like, I was, I was, I had no interest in tickets. My interest kind of went up as more and more people were talking about them. And I, and I was talking about them and I was looking at them and mm -hmm. thinking about them more, you know, just by virtue of putting your brain onto something, you, you, you think about it, you have some interest. And then, you know, as I realized, well, I'm a, you know, they're not as beautiful as cards. I could never see myself buying a ticket instead of a card at this point in time. So um, there we go. There's our talk about tickets tonight. Anything you want to add I, before we move on? Yes. Um, I just thought about one ticket I would want to own. So uh, the Wilt Chamberlain 100-point game yeah. would probably be a ticket I'd want. And I think that's fair. And I think, you know, there's probably there's probably a couple that I would want too. Like when my favorite player won the Stanley Cup, maybe I'd want one of those to put beside mm -hmm. a, a memento or a, you know, some sort of framed with a bunch of pieces in it type of, type of uh, display, something like that. All right, and what do you guys? What do you guys out there think? I mean, anyone out there collecting tickets? And uh, did did anything that I said or that Jeff said kind of rub you the wrong way, the right way? Where are you guys out on that? Love love to hear some comments on that. But let's keep on going through the questions that we do have here. Jake's toe says, "I've been trying to get into some modern baseball, but I tend to go back to the eras I know." I mean, that's just what I just said about me and tickets. You know, you you look at it, you think about it, and then you get back to what you know and love. Um, yeah, great comment, Jake. And I think that's the best thing you can do is stick with what you know and, and what you enjoy. Vintage Collector says, I love the look and see set. Underaged, in my opinion. Underaged or uh, what do you mean underaged by that vintage? Um, under, un, 
underappreciated, undercollected. I could definitely see those because it's an amazing set. Yeah. Uh, Jerry says a great set to collect is the Sportscaster set from the late 70s. Yeah, those are neat. I have a few of them, but to me, they're not cards because they're so big. Like they're literally the size of a magazine cover almost. So, but still very cool and some great pictures for sure on those. Do you have any Sportcasters? Right behind me. Got a few of them. Okay, right on, right on. <laughs> <laughs> very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Mark says, Jeff, which player is your favorite, Jordan or LeBron? Jordan. Easy enough. Same here. Wes Dubois says, what would you guess is the percentage bump that an individual's card would gain if when they're inducted into their respective sports hall of fame? So I'm just going to say one thing and then turn it to Jeff, just to clarify, because the, the, to Wes and anyone else, if you fall, if you kind of follow the trends, the bump doesn't come when they're inducted. It comes when they're announced or that when people realize that they're about to be announced, that's when the bump happens. And then it's kind of downhill from there with a minor, well, you might minor dead cap bounce at the day they're inducted. Mm -hmm. And then it's a, and then it's a decline from there. Uh, but probably not a decline back to where it was before, but maybe not too far from there. With that said, Wes, uh, with that said, Jeff, what do you think would the percentage bump be that you've seen over the years? Um, I think, I think to your point, a lot of it is kind of looking forward and, in kind of anticipating who you think uh, is making the case to be in the hall of fame and kind of, you know, collecting and investing some of those players a little earlier than, you know, once you get to that announcement phase. And I, I think, you know, being earlier to the curve on that um, is where you can kind of be ahead of the bump. Exactly. You have to anticipate these things ahead of time. And, you know, we were talking about the PSA set registry early and a lot of the a lot of action on that registry has to do with Hall of Famers, the Hall of Fame sets. So yep. as soon as a player retires and they have their there's that that uh, period of time, the grace time before they can be inducted, you have to start thinking about are they going to be inducted? And maybe that's when you should get in, because the price is only going to go up from there as they get closer to el induction eligibility. And the sorry, I just want to say one thing. The the registry is a whole different animal when it comes to that, where if you're collecting a set, like for example, the Hall of Fame rookie set, you everyone that collects that set is going to need those cards at some point. And it's whether they want to get them the day they're inducted or whether they're okay waiting until, to, like you said, maybe the price has gone down a little bit. Um, so if you're, you know, if someone's in the market for those, a lot of times there's some good opportunities to, um, you know, to, to participate and sell to other collectors. And it just, it kind of, there's a more of an urgency, what I'm getting at is a more of an urgency when it comes to the registry to kind of fill your, fill your set back up to hundred percent. Right. Um, yeah. It's a little different animal. Yeah. Okay. Um, I want to go to this one here. Uh, Darren says, don't mean to brag, but I do have a Huey Lewis in the news ticket. No big deal. I love it, Darren. That's awesome. Uh, Mitch says, my dad has every MJ Bulls playoff ticket stub, and I've always thought they were cool, but can't see myself ever actually spending big money on them. See, that's a unique, that's like, mm -hmm. Mitch, I would, I would ask, was your dad at these games or was he at some of them and then filled in the ones he wasn't at? That's cool. I mean, that you can make a display out of, you could even slab them and make a display out of them, especially if it's your favorite team, your favorite player, and you were there. Um, 
But listen, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna criticize anybody for collecting anything that they love and they want. I mean, my comments about tickets are as they relate to me as a collector, not to anybody else. And um, I think it's important I make that clear because, again, I will never criticize or disrespect anybody for collecting what makes them happy. That's what this is all about. That's why this is a this is a hobby. Uh, Jake's toe says, I saw my 92 dream team debut ticket stub and got assigned by Drexler. Very, very cool. Michael Ham says tickets are usually based on a personal connect connection to a specific event. It, it, exactly. That's exactly my thoughts on them. As far as my collecting them goes, Mark says I own a Connie Mack auto on a postmarked envelope from the inaugural hall of fame deduction in 1939 autos like that just drip history. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a pretty cool piece. Richard Price says, and this is a question for you, Jeff. Do you think the 48 Bowman George Mikan is basketball's holy grail? Uh, it's it's one of them for sure. I I think there's certain cards in every sport that kind of look like the the Mona Lisa of the sport. You know, you, you have like the Jackie Robinson or the the uh, Hannes Wagner in, in baseball, um, the Jim Brown card in football. Um, and I think for basketball, George Mikan is definitely one of those for sure. And I, I think, you know, I think, you know, Bill Russell and Will Chamberlain kind of lean on that, but I'd say the Mikan probably more so. Yeah. I mean, I was actually thinking about a Mikan rookie earlier today. It's a card I've never owned. I've always wanted one only because of the significance of the card and mm -hmm. because I, I know that it's important just by being in the hobby, not because I know anything about the player. I've looked into the player since then. I do know some things about him, but I have no emotional connection to George Mikan. I have no recollection of hearing that name when I was growing up. So if I were to acquire that card for my collection, it would be because it fits into the collection because of what the card is versus who the player was to me. Yeah. So is it a Holy grail? I think it is. But is it a holy grail for people who really know the history of basketball? Most likely it is. But mm -hmm. is it also a holy grail for people who just collect cards and want all the important ones? Maybe just because of rarity, but is there, yep. is, is, is there, does the emotional component of being a holy grail also exist? I think to be a holy grail, and I'm saying this for the first time and thinking about it, so don't hold me to this, everybody, but I would think that to be a holy grail, you should have some emotional attachment to it. There should be something deeper than just wanting it for its value or its status. I think you should want some, there should be something emotional for you. I'll leave it at that. Does that any, am I anything, any comment on that, Jeff, before we go on actually? Yeah, I, I think in addition to that, I agree with the emotional part of it, but also kind of the, the chase or the, you know, how much it's taken to kind of get that card or copy, I think adds, it adds to that, Holy girl aspect. Yeah. Yeah. How tough it is to get like, that's the whole Honus mm -hmm. Wagner card, right? I mean, very few people remember <laughs> him, but he is a first class hall of famer. Yes. He was a superstar. It's not like he was, it was, it wasn't a great player. It just has a rare card. So, okay, let's keep on going. A DR says, what are your thoughts on the game used memorabilia basketball cards of the early 2000s? Seems like there are a lot of really cool, affordable cards. Can you comment on those, Jeff? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that they're great cards. Um, it's, it's something that, you know, I, like I said, you know, I, you can only collect so much. 
Um, so I never got into them, but I do think that they're really cool cards. I mean, it's to have a, a piece, especially game used, right? It was, you know, if it was game used to have that um, into the card and, and, you know, to have an autograph on there. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, again, it d- depends on the player and who you want to collect regarding the affordability, but yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of really nice stuff out there. Definitely. There definitely is. Mark says, I have a 13-game plan back in 1987 for the Yankees. I have Gila Fleur Knight back in 84 against Hartford. So several tickets in your collection. Yeah, I mean, that that's beautiful because those are important games to you. You were at them. I think that's great. Uh, Mitch says, my dad went to all of them, the home games. So to me, this is, that's, you know, that's the best reason for me to collect tickets is because you were there and, and, it's Michael Jordan too. We're talking about Michael Jordan home playoff games. I mean, come on. Is there any better games to go to in the history of sport? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, JG says 2013 World Series Red Sox versus Cardinals had tickets for game five, not used. Sox swept and ended the curse. Very nice. You didn't you didn't go to the games though, JG. Why didn't you go if you had the tickets? Well, I'm sure there's good reasons for that too. Jake's Toe says there's a 48 Mike and Gray blank back PSA authentic on eBay for 70K right now. Yeah, if I'm buying a Mike and I want it as it was intended to be, I do not want a blank back. That's for sure. The back is so cool on those cards from the 40s. It's just a bunch of text and you can have fun mm-hmm. reading it. Uh, Latrell asks a question. Basically, do you like your cards graded or raw? I think we know the, well, we may not, not everybody knows, but Jeff's collection is all graded. He loves graded cards. How many graded cards do you have in your collection? Um, a little over 1,500. 1,500. Sorry. Do you, I mean, to, to Latrell's question, do you do you collect any raw cards? Yeah, I do. And for me, the, um, a lot of the raw cards are ones that I still have from, you know, childhood collection. Other ones are some, like, parallel sets that – um, you know, I'm not looking to collect the set as a graded. Um, so I would, you know, just collect it raw. And one, one cool one that I have is in 96, uh, they made the 50th anniversary of the NBA. They made this tops NBA star set and they made each card look like the rookie card of that player, but it, you know, modern version of it and that regular and refractor version. So I collected that set. It's like, you know, collecting, it's a very affordable way to collect the top 50 players and have, you know, their rookie cards of that. So I thought that was really cool. Really cool. For sure. For sure. Uh, JG kind of puts me in my place and says, game five was not played. That's why I did not attend. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Okay. Good answer, JG. About the only, about the best answer there is. Love it. Thanks for the clarity. So, okay, oh, there's two more things I want to do before we wrap up. We want to do some show and tell. You've got some cards to show, but I also want to talk about your where you're at in life right now, Jeff, with your career. Um, you know, I just recently made a move. I, I just packed in a 25-year professional career to work in the hobby uh, mm-hmm. with, with a company in the hobby, tag grading, full-time. I'm all in on the hobby now. How about you? Are you uh, – are you, are you, I mean, listen, hopefully whoever you work with or for isn't watching right now, if you're going to say that you want to get out of that work, but where are you at right now? Yeah. So I'm at, I'm at a point where, you know, I've been in the working world, um, 
you know, almost 20 years now. So, you know, have, have experience, um, you know, I, my background is, is finance and operations, you know, traditionally in, in a corporate environment. Um, but my passion, you know, you know, clearly has been um, sports cards and I've really put a lot of thought into it. And it's, it's uh, moving into uh, a similar, uh, you know, type of um, role and mindset and moving into the hobby is definitely something I have been highly considering. So let's just, I mean, listen, let's just put it out there for you. You never know who's watching these shows. And mm -hmm. I mean, you're obviously a, a very likable guy and uh, even tempered and uh, have some skills and passion and love for the card. So I'm going to help you out and just say, if anyone out there, you know, if you think you might, if you're running a business in this hobby, you never know what, what you know, Jeff Hart's here tonight or any guest on, on Sports Cards Live could end up being a, a potential cat and candidate for you. So who knows? I'm going to put Jeff's uh, Instagram handle on the ticker again, Patriot underscore Sports Cards, if anybody does want to reach out to you. I don't know. I feel like I'm like a recruiter right now, Jeff. But hey, you just never know what can come of anything. So Absolutely. Uh, so I'm happy to be able to, to say those words on your behalf. Appreciate it, Jeremy. Yeah, you bet. Um, let's look at some cards. I think people want to see some cards. I want to see some cards. Now let's just take a second. You, when you showed the Wilt Chamberlain earlier, you kind of showed it off to your left and, and it was on the side of the screen. First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to make it so that your screen can be bigger like that. So you're the big one right now on here and maybe, well, let's just see, put up a card and let's try and find a sweet spot so we can see it nicely. Okay. So this was the first, um, graded card that I ever purchased. Try and put it more in the middle if you can. And I'm I'll, sorry. Yeah, now, now hold it right there, but tilt the top towards the floor. There, stop. Perfect. Let's do it like that. That's good. Okay, so that's the 61 Bob Cousy. That's the first graded card you ever bought. Yep. And that's the card that got you started down the rabbit hole. Yep, absolutely. Card, card one of 1,500 right there, everybody. What would you like to? What else would you like to say about it, if anything, or you want to go on? Um, I just think... You know, I just think the, for me, just the the coloring of it, just, it looks very, uh, looked very different from the start, you know, Celtics fan. And, um, you know, it wasn't my a cheap purchase as a first one either. So, uh, you know, it still, still means a lot to me. It's a mint nine. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty card, man. Uh, this, this is um, Bill Russell. So we're looking at the 57 tops, Bill Russell. That is a PSA near mint seven. What do you want to tell us about? Tell us a story about like, was that an upgrade? Was it the first, was it the first copy and only copy you've ever bought? Tell us a bit about it. Yeah. So um, it's the only copy that I've had. And I guess the story around that. Hold, hold is... it up. Hold it up when you're talking. No, about sorry. We, got, we want to see it. We want to see it. Yeah. Thank you. I guess this, the story around the card is not that memorable, but it's the opportunity to have chance of picked up an eight at one point. So um, I vividly remember, you know, I bought this card and about two weeks later, there was an eight that popped up on eBay and it would have only been, I think it's definitely a lot of money, but a two or $3,000 upgrade to go from an eight, a seven to an eight. And, you know, obviously the disparity between those prices now is just incredible. But, you know, 
almost had the opportunity to be one grade higher, but I decided that it wasn't uh, in my budget at the time. So Beautiful. stuck Beautiful with card. this one. Yeah. Amazing card. This is just one I just wanted to um, so point out. Most people would not know this player. Um, this guy's name is Nat Sweetwater Clifton. So this is card number one in the 57 set. And it's uh, it's an eight, and there's only 12 or 13 of them and none higher. So if you're going to collect the 57 set, this is one of the cornerstones of that set. So it has some meaning in relation to that. Um, and he was also the uh, first African-American to sign an NBA contract. Wow. Um, so, you know, I think that has some historical significance as well. I'm, I'm you know, that's a piece of, that's a fact that you just mentioned, yet I've never heard of him, yet I hear all about Jackie Robinson. <laughs> do you know any, any, do you have any idea why the first African-American player to sign in the NBA wasn't as celebrated as the first baseball player. I, I guess baseball being America's pastime has a lot to do with it, but what, what have you learned about that? Um, I, I don't, I mean, I, the only thing I can think of is that it just wasn't as popular as, as a sport yeah. back at that time. Yeah. That's, I think that's probably it. Uh, Jake's toe wanted to know what did the, what did the koozie cost when you bought it? If you're willing to share that information. Um, I think it was about $700. Okay, great. What do you got next? Let's see another card. All right. So, you know, I mentioned the 71 set um, that one of them collecting now. I just think these cards are so cool to look at. Um, bring, it kind of brings you back to the 70s and that time with the writing at the top. And this is one of the um, – he was actually voted the uh, best – ABA player of all time tied with Julius Irving. So most people have maybe not heard of Roger Brown, but he was one of the all time best ABA players. So this is the 71 top set yep. Roger Brown. And just for people listening, not watching what I love about this card is the, the font used for the word Indiana across the top that I've never seen that font on cards anywhere else. And I, I don't know why they did this, but in his name, they made, you know, the first letter of his first name and the first letter of his last name are printed in red and the rest of the letters are in black. So an interesting design. I think that's just so unique to the time period and uh, a really cool car. I like also how there's this pink square background, but yet the image of him, it extends past the border of the background where his head comes off and almost infringes on the word Indiana. Like... I just think it's a really cool card. I, I'm not that familiar with the set, so thanks for showing it. That's so cool. Yeah, absolutely. It's a pop one. Pop one is that's a gem mint ten. Yeah, wow, yeah. very nice. How so? Was that, like, how did you find that card? Did you just find it at auction one day or what? Uh, I got I got pretty lucky with that. It was a it's actually a funny story about it. I uh, it came up. There's a couple, someone was selling um, 71 Tops cards on eBay, and I bought a couple of them. They were nothing special. And I asked, what else do you have? And this gentleman had a bunch of cards that he had as a, a child graded. Um, and he said that I got some really good grades on a few of them. And this happened to be one of those cards. And so I bought um, a few cards off him offline, 
And uh, that's how I acquired it. Um, and then the story behind it is that I actually traded this card away to another collector. And um, he was actually, he was a very um, well-known, he had an amazing collection and he ended up, he sold his collection um, a year or two ago. Um, but he, it was, he took it in a trade that I gave it away and I got a, a Rick Barry card in return. So it was not too bad of a trade. Um, but then I had to, when, when this guy sold his whole collection, I had, was trying to acquire it back. And so it came up at an auction and I paid 10 times what it, what I ended up, uh, you know, getting it for, for this, the first time. Oh, but wow. Wow. It's only one That's, copy. So yeah, you got it back at least. All right. Um, before you go to the next card, a couple of yep. comments here. Uh, Mitch says, I would love to see your 57 Dolph Shays. If you if you pulled it out, great. If not, uh, you guys can show them on Instagram maybe. Um, did you? Is that a card you pulled out? Um, no, but I can get it right now. Okay, sure. And then while you're doing that, I'm going to read Jake Toe's comment. It says, my first graded card I ever bought was a PSA 8 1988 Jordan All-Star back in 1999 for 20 bucks on eBay. When sellers still accepted money orders. All right. So let's do this again. Let's go back to this view. So there you go, Mitch. There's the the 57 Dolph Shays. That's a near mint mint eight. What a cool looking card. I love the 57 top set for sure. For sure. Rubber side down says love hearing the story behind the cards. Thank you. There you go. Mitch says Dolph. The best Jewish basketball player ever. And Yankees fan says Jackie Robinson was in 1947. I think Sweetwater was in 1950. So that's a good reason, too. Three years later, the first African-American player had, had, had crossed the color barrier in major sports, being baseball, and then maybe the next major sport to cross wasn't as celebrated, even though it probably should have been and today would be. Well, thankfully, it's not a today issue. At least crossing the color barrier for the first time is not a today issue. Um, okay, let's go back to the next card. All right. This, as I mentioned, I uh, got into international cards a little bit. So this this is a 1986 uh, Mercanti Spanish card of a guy named Oscar Schmidt. And most people don't uh, maybe not have heard of him but he is the all-time scoring leader in uh, professional basketball, more than more than Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Wow. And what year, sorry, what year did you say it was from? 80, 1986. And it looks like it's an EX5? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty These cool. are really tough. You don't see cards that shape or, or with those kind of dual, well, you see some dual panel type of cards, but uh, that's a really cool looking card. I love your shirt, by the way. Pro basketball. Can you can you uh, show us more of that shirt for a sec? Oh yeah, I love it. Tops tops design, really cool. What else you got? Uh, you have to do just a couple more. Uh, this is the Bird Magic Julia Serving, uh, all uh, triple signed. Story behind? Did you get them signed yourself? No, I didn't. Um, it, I guess the story behind this one is just the kind of hunt to get the right copy that you're, you know, that you'd be looking for. Um, in this case, you know, it, 
because all three players are signing it, you might have different ink, different size fonts, um, different ways of signing it. You know, some are vertical, some are horizontal. But my goal here was to try to get all the players signed in blue ink uh, in the middle um, in like a thin Sharpie. So it took, even though there's, there's a lot of these out there, it took a long time to find one like this. Yeah, that's a card that uh, that is quite common as far as having all three autographs on it. But it, the reason it's quite common is because it's quite desired. It's probably the best triple autograph card uh, you can get in basketball that might not have Michael Jordan on it as well. So an amazing card right there. Oh, what's this? This one right here is... Uh, turning so it, turn it horizontal if you don't mind. Yep. Other not that, that was the upside down parallel version. Yeah. Now we have the right version. Okay. So this is called a 1971 Tops Trios. And it was issued one per pack in with the 1971 cards. Um, and this is really the first third panel card that was ever made. So 1980 Tops was not the first time they did this. This is actually stickers. Um, and this one right here is um I think one of the better ones in the set, it's uh, Pete Maravich, John Havlicek, and uh, a guy named Bob Kaufman in the middle. I love the I love the black border. Uh, you know, it's so different from the 1980 Bird Magic Irving card, with, yep. which is white background. This has a black background. I think that is just a really cool looking card. What are, like So this is a Mint 9. What's the total population on a card like this? best guess if you don't know offhand yeah maybe 12 12 total graded well in that grade so i mean probably maybe i guess maybe like 100 yeah in all grades okay. super rare overall a couple comments before you show us the next one yep. uh vintage card collector says do you have any 1968 tops test cards um i don't and i love that set i think it's Really, really cool cards. And if anyone doesn't know, it's uh, black and white cards and issued um, is a test test issue, uh, clearly. Um, and they came in like uh, mailing envelopes and they didn't make that many of them. Uh, and the th good thing about it was there all the great players happened to be in that set at the time. So uh, Bill Russell doesn't have that many cards, but he had a card in there. Uh, Wilt Chamberlain, Elgin Baylor, Jerry West, and some of those are actually before their rookie cards. Um, wow. So that's, you know, technically could be the rookie card, but because it's not, you know, a main issue, they don't count it. Cool. And Jake's Toe wants to know, do you have any Kukoc or Sabonis early European cards? Um, I do. Yes. Of course he does. Yeah. Hold on. Of course he does. Let's see what he let's see what he can pull out from uh, from back there. We're just waiting for him to find a few cards here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry about that. No. At least they're at least they're within rolling distance from uh, from. Yeah, from they, the they just happen to be. So in the meantime, I'm gonna I'm gonna show yeah. you guys uh, the six because we were talking about his 61 Fleer basketball set. So this is an unopened pack of 61 Fleer that I showed him 
uh, on the bus ride from Atlantic from New York to Atlantic City. Awesome. And, and I mean, Jeff, is this something like that you'd like to have to pair up with your like not particularly? I don't mean maybe my pack, but would you mm. like to have a an, an, op, an open sixty one Fleer pack to go with your complete set? Absolutely, I'd love to have one of those. It's yeah. uh, they're so rare uh, to find, and um, it's just a beautiful pack. I mean, just to see. You know, just the basic uh, guy in the front, you know, shooting a basketball. And they always have funny uh, advertisements on the back. I think that one either has a airplane kit or a science kit. It's one of those. This one just has something for double bubble. Okay. But what I like about it is I really just noticed this as I'm looking at it in, on, the, on the screen is that the FLIR crown is like right above his head, almost perfectly centered above the head of the players. Yeah. Maybe to to imply that these players are royalty of some sort. I don't know. I mean, back in 61, I don't think they were royalty compared to how they are considered by many to be royalty today. They are the new royalty, uh, the modern royalty in our society. I don't think I'll ever look at that pack the same now, now that I see that. It's pretty cool. <laughs> All right, let's see what you got. All right, so here's the Sabonis. Um, this is his first card. This is 1985 Merchanti. Um, you know, pretty simple design, uh, but this is a yeah issued in uh, Spain. Very nice, very nice. Uh, and then one set that I kind of um, really got to. Uh, kind of create a personal interest in. You know, there's a lot of oddball sets in the 70s that they did in basketball. And this is one of them. Uh, it was called 1973 um, NBA Player Postcards. And these were made in New Jersey. And uh, these are obviously, if you look at them, they're very difficult to keep in top condition just because it's full color borders. And so there's not that many of these that, um, that are around. So not you know not everyone has seen uh the set before yeah i hadn't until you showed it to me a really cool really cool set you know postcards are sort of cards not really sports cards is shape wise yeah. but they definitely fit in overall i have a i have a few in my collection as well and i kind of keep those slabs all together and to go a little bit modern uh this is i don't know if any people have seen this before but uh the two-time mvp this is Nikola Jokic's first card when he played um, for Mega Vizura in, in uh, Serbia. What year is that from? 14? Uh, 2014. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's a nice piece. I mean, how many of those are, are floating around? Uh, it's, 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 um, there's, it's not it's not too uncommon. Yeah, okay. But I, I just think the card is pretty neat. Okay. I'm going to go to some comments here. Take take a little uh, – get. how many more cards did you pull out to show here? Um, I could just show a couple more, What, what you know. Sure. Uh, let's do a couple comments here first. Yeah. Darren says, I love the trio rookie NBA cards. Sorry, Bird Magic Dr. J is cool. I have the LeBron Wade Carmelo. Do they still make That's trios now in modern, a similar style? I haven't seen any for quite some time, Darren. It might be the one you have uh, is the last one that I'm familiar with. Are you familiar with anything besides that, Jeff? 
Nope. That 03 set, um, I would like to own that card at some point. Uh, but yeah, that's the only, that's the newest one I've seen. Okay. Joe Pro says that you look very organized. Uh, Jake's Toast says, can those GAI, GAI slabs be trusted? Well, Jake, I spent real money on, on that one, so I certainly trust it. Uh, says it's a sweet pack. It certainly is a sweet pack. No doubt about that. Uh, Mitch wants to know, do you know if that 85 Sabonis card, did those come in packs or how they were distributed? Um, I don't. I think that they were they were uh, cut out of something. I almost wanted to say it was shoes, but mm. I'm not I'm not 100% possible, but I think it's a card that's uh, a cut out of um, a product. All right, good. Okay, let's see the rest of your cards, and we're, we're at the two-hour mark, so okay. let's see the last couple of cards, and we're going to end this show. So this is of the, the great Diana Taurasi, so it's probably one of the best WNBA cards I have. Um, these are very difficult in high condition because they get uh you know chipped a lot or the corners turn turn white very easily um so there's not the population of these isn't too high um but i you know i think it's um you know it's for wmba cards i think this is a good one to own i would agree i mean i'm familiar with diana tarasi and uh what a cool card before you do the next card, Latrell Sprewell says, you seem like a cool dude. I like this guest. That's always a nice comment. And Darren says, what's the back of the Oscar postcard look like? Nothing too exciting. National Basketball Players Association. All right, good. Okay, let's go to the next card. This is another oddball card. So this is um, Bob Cousy card from... 1963 uh, from Hood Milk saying uh, yours for better fitness. Nice. Food issue. Bobby yep. Burrell would love this piece. Very cool. And then and just, the- just one of the old Hall of Fame rookies. You know, if anyone hasn't seen this set, this is the uh, Sport Kings. 33, um, so, 1933. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So Joe Lopchik, he was one of the great uh, players from the original Celtics, not associated with the Boston Celtics. And they were a, called them a barnstorming team that used to play in the, mostly in the 1920s and thirties. And they would play over 200 games a year. And I think one year they had a record of 190 plus wins and, maybe 20 losses or something like that. Wow. Very neat. You have one, one more card to show and then we're, we wrap sure, up. Sure. Sure. DR said that's a sweet Diana for sure. Okay. Well, what do we got here? So this is the same year as the Dr. J um, artist Gilmore. He was from the ABA and one of the uh, the best centers at the time, and he said he played in the NBA as well. So he was a dual player, and he was one of the best rebounders ever. Um, sometimes averaging over twenty rebounds in a season. Hmm. Wow, that's big. He was big, very cool. I love I love that set. 
I love I love the fact that Julius Irving's rookie card has them playing for the Squires. I think it yep. is right. Like yep. you don't that that name just doesn't mean anything today, but it must have certainly meant something back then. Oh, there it is. The Squire, yeah, the the Virginia Squires. Was that an ABA team then? Yes. Yeah. Yep. It's funny because you know I own a copy of that card, and I I never even really realized that he was playing for Virginia. As long as I've coveted that card or owned that card, I actually have a painting of that card hanging in my rec room just over mm-hmm. there. And I've never even realized really that it's Virginia. I realized it was the Squires, but I didn't know who that was. Um, never really registered with me. So that's pretty neat. All right. Uh, Grotman says the A-Train artist is very under underrated. Best bull before MJ. And that, that's <laughs> that might be saying a lot. It might not be. I'm not sure. But um, good stuff. Oh, wrong view. There we go. Um, okay, Jeff, we are we've gone well, we've gone over two hours here, so we're gonna wrap up. So with that, let me just say a couple of things um to the to the chat guys. Uh thank you for joining. Thanks for the engagement with the questions, the comments. Tomorrow on Collectible Live, Rob Gerard, who has hosts a podcast called The Sports Card Therapist. Great podcast, will be joining me. That's seven o'clock Eastern tomorrow on this YouTube channel. Again, Collectible Live tomorrow, 7 o'clock Eastern. Next Thursday is the PWCC Premier Auction coverage. Adam Gray will be joining me, and I can announce it's been confirmed during this episode that we have a new special guest joining us for this episode of the PWCC Premier Auction. We're bringing in a baseball guy. If you are a YouTuber or you are you're, if you're on YouTube, you may know him. He goes by the name of Filmington. Filmington will be our special guest on the PWCC Premier Auction Show this coming Thursday. And then next Saturday on Sports Cards Live, where Jeff is sitting today, we will have a gentleman by the name of Matt Wirth. Now, you might not know that name. but You might not know him by that name, but you might know him by the name of Cage Lawyer. Cage will be joining us on the show next Saturday. Those are my announcements. A couple comments here very quickly. I see we have, oh, we have a whole bunch coming in here. Thank you, guys. So, Eric, thank you so much. Yankees fans of Jet says, Jeff, your thoughts on the Icy Bear set? I love the stars included in it. Take a second and speak to that, Jeff. Yeah. Awesome set. Uh, 1972 came in uh, Icy Bear um, uh, food products, and it had all the stars in it in the 70s. Um, I used to collect that set. I, ha- I had the, the player, so it's awesome. I love it. Baseball card curmudgeon says, great show. Cheers, fellas. Thank you, Baz. Uh, Jake Stowe, fun watch. Thanks for your time, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Eric, thank you. Eric Witowski, good to see you. Says, love the history. Nice job, Jeff. Uh, Darren says, after hours, is that still a thing? It's, it is it is sometimes, but probably not tonight. I'm, I'm still getting over like a two-week cough, and uh, I'm starting to feel my voice go. So I'm not going to do a late show tonight, guys, but we'll get them. We'll get back to them. We'll get back to them. Mitch, fun episode. Love seeing all the vintage. Justin says it is hard to resist the urge to buy some more slabs on eBay right now. Right? That's how it goes. The more we talk about it, the more we want to buy. Jeff, thank you so much, man. This re- reconsider. Reconsider. I don't know what I could do. I don't have, I don't have, uh... <coughs> see, I'm coughing, guys. I'm still getting over it. I'd love to 
Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll come back. Give it five minutes after this one. And if you see me come back live, maybe I will. I said it's a 50-50 chance, a 50-50 chance, which isn't that bad, I suppose. Uh, just uh, And Jake Stowe says, Jeff's debut going to be more vids. Hey, you never know. That's how it kind of happens. Somebody guests on one show and then other people invite them on theirs. You get a more rounded a more rounded view. Tyler wants after hours too. All right, all right, guys. We'll we'll do a short after hours. We'll do a short after hours. Adam Lynn, let's go after hours. Okay, okay, guys. We'll do a short after hours. We'll do a short after hours after this. <laughs> you got a fever, a fever for sports cards. That's true. Jeff, thank you so much. I will do after hours, guys. You talked me into it. So give me five minutes after this ends. Jeff, thanks so much, buddy. It's been great having you. Um, yeah, man. I mean, I, I love I love your approach. I love your collection. Great job. It was been nice getting to know you this uh, at the national and and the bus ride to the national. And uh, I'm sure we'll see you again soon. Final comments from you, and then we're going to end this thing. Yep. Uh, uh, it's been uh, really great uh, spending time with you, Jeremy. Uh, you know, love the show as a just as a fan, and, and even better uh, being able to speak to you on it. So uh, it's really been a pleasure and uh, thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that so much. And, uh, and yeah, it's my pleasure having you. And I think the the chat really liked it. So good stuff, man. Thanks for being here. Hang tight right there, guys. We're going to end this. I'll come back in five minutes. We'll do, we'll do some after hours action and, uh, and then all the other shows coming up in the next week or so. So thank you everybody. This episode is over. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.